This is Happiness Solved with America's Happiness Coach, Sandy Scarlatta. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am so happy you're here. So you may have noticed the music is a little bit different. I thought I would change things up a little bit. So before I introduce today's guest, I want to talk a little bit about gratitude. So here we are. We're approaching the holidays. 2021 is coming to an end. Maybe that's a good thing for some people. I'm always one that you know gets excited for a new year. So gratitude is the quickest way to shift your thoughts from maybe negative or, or stressful into a positive state. There's always other people that have worse off circumstances than you do. So it, it's while it's easy during the holidays because you know we we want everything to be special for your family. We want to get the perfect gift for people and things like that. And and you know this year things may be a little bit different as we all know the they're logistically things are not getting to places the way that we're used to. We're not getting that instant gratification many times. So I just challenge everyone during this holiday season, throughout the day, as often as you need to, just take a few minutes and focus on everything that you have to be grateful for, because it really does shift your mood, your your energy levels, your thoughts, because you have a choice. You have, you have a choice as to whether or not it's going to be a merry season or if it's going to be a stressful season. I know for me personally, I choose to have a merry season and not let the stress get to me. So Thank you so much for listening today, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Today's guest is Michael Fishman. Michael is known to many for his starring role on the hit TV show, The Connors, formerly known as Roseanne. But away from the cameras, he is a director, writer, and has just launched his own production company. Michael's story is inspiring, and he has such a beautiful message to share. So stay tuned. This is one episode you don't want to miss. Michael Fishman, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Oh, I I tell you, I was so looking forward to this interview because I was one of those who was a regular watch, you know, big, huge fan. And, um... And I was actually texting some of my girlfriends. I'm like, did you guys watch Roseanne? And I'm like, I'm about to interview DJ Connor. And I'm like, they're like, oh, that's so cool. One of my girlfriends said it got me through college. <laughs> it kept me sane. I love it. And, and that's one of the things I think for me, it's the most humbling part is when I meet people who are like, it got me through college or it got me through a hard time or it got me through my adolescent years that were confusing. And you guys were at the safe space or some place to laugh and escape. Uh, that's the best part of what we do. Yeah. So what was that like being a child actor in Hollywood? You know, it's very interesting. Um, I started so early in a way. uh, I don't know that I really fully know the alternative other than as a dad, you know, going back with my kids. I I think for me, it was something I always wanted to do. And I got the perfect opportunity. I fell into a job that I truly loved and I love the people I work with. And luckily now, you know, almost 30 years later, I'm still working with some of those people. And so it's been this beautiful kind of synchronistic reconnecting through my life. It's somewhat cyclical. And um, I'm probably the rare exception where I absolutely love this business and I love what we get to do. And I had a really positive experience 
there are moments and it is work and, and you are in an adult world. But for me, I can't imagine doing anything else. And I've had a lot of other jobs, so I, I fought my way back here. <laughs> now, how old were you when you started? On I was six. You were um, six. Yeah, right, right around my sixth birthday. Wow. Now, was that a natural thing for you to, were you like the kid that was always pretending and, you know, acting out like little scenes and, and things like that? No, I don't think acting. I mean, my imagination was super active. It still is. Um, and I think I've kept that. I've tried really hard to keep my kind of childlike wonder. But my sister had been auditioning and had uh, someone had told her, a family friend, that she should do commercials. And so my parents, she wanted to earn money for college. My sister's one of those people who plans her life kind of 30 years ahead and, and worked very diligently to like kind of do the stepping stones there. So when she was about seven, almost eight, she decided she wanted to do commercials and, and audition. She started going out all the time. And then they would ask her, are you here for this too? And after a while, I told my parents, I really like to try this. And my parents didn't want us to do anything long-term. Uh, they were determined only for us to do commercials because they both had full-time jobs and no interest in the entertainment industry. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's when fate intervenes and, and, you know, you kind of divinely end up right where you're supposed to. And there's a synchronistic aspect. And I end up with a nine year thing where everybody had to rearrange their lives. Wow. So after what happened after the show ended, did you continue working? Well, when it ended, I was 15. Um, during the weeks and, and periods of the year that I didn't work, I always went back to public school. So initially, I went right back to public school and, and was in high school every single day. And it was a rough transition. Um, it was a really rough transition because I had been around working people with families and problems. And I only, you know, I really knew how to work. And the school environment, while I was good at school, the teenage angst that people had over really trivial stuff like was really hard for me to kind of accept because I, I I was in that world but kind of somewhat removed and I did a bunch of acting after you know I was on Seinfeld I got a recurring role on a show called Hits that had uh, Andrew Dice Clay and Reno Wilson in it um, I did AI with Steven Spielberg and and you know Adrian Gennaire was in that that scene and we we had this group of young guys kind of I did all these jobs right away and then things kind of slowed down. You're in that in-between space where you're not quite an adult and you're not quite a kid and yeah. people have seen you a ton. And so I was in an in-between space and it was kind of tough and I was going to school all the time and I started trying to pursue baseball because that was another passion. Um, and then I, you know, I started raising my little brother, uh, my parents, both had ended up in, in different job situations that had kind of pulled them in different directions. My dad ended up stuck about 100 miles away when his partner dropped out of a business and my mom had just taken a huge promotion. So I stepped in to help raise my little brother. And that led to meeting um, the woman that I would marry and was married for 20 years and had two beautiful kids. And, you know, I, I became a dad really early. And I think people thought that was a sign of me like spinning out and going crazy as opposed to what it was, which was me knowing who I wanted to be and what I wanted to do and, and what my priorities were. And then, you know, I, I've done a lot of normal jobs. I kind of stepped away from the business. I went behind the scenes. I worked on the technical side. Uh, I like to joke. I've worked in pretty much every single department except for hair and makeup and wardrobe. And I would be terrible in both of those. You know, hard enough for me to get myself dressed in the morning. That's not my area of expertise. Um, 
And, you know, I really went and picked up all these technical skills from, I had learned so closely from the crew. Uh, and, and for me, acting is my love, but the crew were the people who made that possible. And so I always understood their value. And then I, I became somebody who worked alongside them and worked in that fashion. And it's been a beautiful gift because now being a director, I know what everybody does and what the departments look like, but I've been, had firsthand knowledge. So I know when I ask somebody for something, what I'm, a, what I'm putting them through or what the expectation is. And it makes me a little more aware. And then as a producer, as I'm building projects, it, I'm keenly aware of how much stuff costs, but more importantly, how things get done and who you need to talk to and kind of the ways you can get to things. And, and it's been invaluable for me coming back. Um, but I always knew I wanted to act yeah. and it took a really long time. Uh, you know, I got a, I, I had kids, so their dreams and their goals kind of came first for a while. And I really had to prioritize them. And the acting thing's interesting because when you step away from it for a minute, people forget and, and you have to kind of restart that. And that wasn't an easy process. And it's been such a beautiful gift to do as an adult um, because I had to really earn it. And I think the first time I got it so easy and so quickly, I think that's really good because it's made me um, even more humble. And it made me more aware as I came back this time about like what I wanted to do if I was going to be on a network show again, how I wanted to use my voice and, and what matters and, and what's the real value of what we do outside of just the work itself. Mm. Yeah, I've heard many people talk about that, that it's hard to get back into. Yeah. Well, yeah. it sounds like you're one of the, you know, rare people or child actors that make it through kind of, it sounds like it was a little unscathed compared to some. <laughs> I always laugh because I, I, you know, I hear that all the time and I don't think anybody gets through adolescence or, or growing up unscathed. I think if we're but you, know what I'm, you know what I'm referring to. I think proportionately. Absolutely. I yeah. think, you know, fame is a magnifier. And I think if you're a really kind person, you'll do really kind things. I have the ability to use my voice in a way that I didn't have a ability to use when I was say working construction or when I worked in education and when I was working at high schools, like I had an impact on a select group of people, but my voice, you know, now it's, it's magnified at such a rate, but that also means Every bad decision is magnified. Every questionable thing is magnified. And where I stand on social issues is hugely important because it is open for the whole world to evaluate. Right. So let's shift gears a little bit. Um, and I know that you've been through some real rough times in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Do you want to share about that? Because I feel like that's a big part of your story. And yes, and I think yeah. it's the part that people don't ask. So, you know, if I, I think steer me in the directions that you want. I'm so much I would I'm a pretty open book. So what I usually Yes. Yeah. What I usually say to people is, you know, we all have a story. And mm -hmm. there's there's sometimes there's defining moments in our life that put you on the track. You know, for me, it was in nineteen ninety, I was, you know, hit rock bottom with drug abuse. You know, and that put me on the path that I am on today. And I, I just, you know, obviously I Googled you beforehand and I, and I see that you had a, a, a pretty major life event happen and 
if you if you'd like to talk about it, I think it would be really helpful for people to hear, you know, your aspect of it and and how how you are today as a result. Yeah, you know, I've had kind of four or five, I'd say, really major life altering events probably since 2017, um, and it's really interesting because it it all really started to happen right before I essentially got what I wanted. Uh, and I think that's the way it happens is um, I'm a big believer in lots of times the pain or the trauma or the mistakes that we have to learn from often, if you're, if you're a good person, it becomes your mission. So as a teenager, briefly, I was homeless. So I started doing a lot of homeless um, involvement and interaction and, and it's become part of the charitable undertone of a lot of the stuff I do. 2017, I was coaching um, and we got ready to come back for the Roseanne reboot. Um, and weeks before I had my left orbital shattered hmm. in an accident and they had to rebuild my face. Oh my and gosh. I, know, I, I had waited all this time and worked, you know, I've been doing improv and stand up and all of these performing things and training, acting for years, kind of waiting for the right opportunity. And this is the way life works, right? Um, I think it was May that they decided to come back and do the show. June 10th, my orbital gets shattered, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Hmm. And it was a, it was a really eye-opening event um, because the people I leaned on, most of them kind of just stepped away from me. Wow. Um, when it happened, nobody would take me to the hospital. He um, called a family member to come pick me up. And, you know, I was like an hour and a half away. My daughter was playing a tournament and basically I had to triage myself having been a rescue diver. Um, I triaged myself, um, monitored myself for almost 10 hours till the day was over for her because there were colleges there to look at her and I was not going to cost her her opportunity. Wow. Um, and then my daughter had to help me get home where I couldn't see. And my eye was massive. And, you know, I came home and it was very interesting because it was, that was kind of the defining moment for the end of my marriage too. Mm. Um, and I didn't really realize it at the time. And so we went into massive debt. So I would like to say, I, I would tell you that's one of the times I hit rock bottom as far as in my life, but the truth is there have been, you know, I, like most people, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to bounce off the bottom a few times before you really push off and take off again. Yep. And that led to coming back to the show. And when I first came back, I had blurred vision and I was still kind of working through. I healed incredibly fast and nobody in the world could tell because my, my eye surgeon was just miraculously amazing. Um, and then I started working. And everything was going well, but my home life was falling apart. And so we had talked about what, you know, she asked what the separation or divorce looked like. And I'm a person, I thought I got married one time and, you know, I had a lot of really strong beliefs about doing this one time and making it work. So I tried to make it work through the first season of the show with the idea that maybe in the off season, kind of away from the spotlight for my kids my son has started college, so my oldest, and so I, I didn't want to interfere with that. So then the whole kind of controversy happens with the end of the show with the tweets and, and the kind of racially insensitive comments. 
now we're in the middle of getting death threats and, and my life is falling apart in a different way. Oh my gosh. And my kids are living through that, which, you know, I lived through that with the national anthem thing as a child. So probably my perception of it was kind of altered because I'd lived and grown up that way with bomb scares and death threats and being a public person. Um, so my response to my kids mostly was like, listen, don't worry about the answering machine. The people who really d- don't want bad things to happen to you, th- those people don't call you and tell you first. Like you, you just have to let go of some of this. Like you can't freak out. So it was about trying to kind of keep the family together. And then by the time the end of 2000, 2018 happened, I realized that I was getting a divorce and we I kind of agreed. Um, and then right as that was happening, uh, a beautiful young woman came into my life who needed mentoring named Camille. And she is just this amazing actor and young director and this young woman. Um, and I was introduced by a coworker, uh, Mylon Robinson, who played my wife on the show. And Camille was around all the time. And one day she turned to me and said, uh, I've never had a dad. Mm. Would you be my dad? And um, it chokes wow. me up even in this moment because, um, and I said, you need to go home and think about this. I said, because this is a lifetime position and you have to understand what that means is it's not just the fun. It's not just the good parts. It's not the parts where, you know, right now we're going out to dinner and I'm kind of mentoring you and you're hanging out and you and I and Isabel are having fun and we're going and doing all these great things and we're rock climbing and hiking and having experiences together and going on adventures and working on scripts and doing these things. But when I'm your dad, I'm going to have a whole different set of expectations and there's going to be, you know, there's requirements and there's expectations of a family member and there's commitments that we would have to make back and forth. And do you understand what you're asking me? And she said, yes. And that was a beautiful gift. Wow. Um, so you so, adopted her? Well, so not officially on paper, but yeah. Oh, yeah. And so she, right. she's my oldest daughter. So for me, yeah, she's, and and what that led to was um, her younger brother, Larry, who was in the foster care system. Mm. And he was having all kinds of problems at a group home. And before I know it, within a couple months, I'm going to the group home. And then I'm listed in Child Protective Services as someone to check him out of the group home. And I'm part of Camille. And she and I are doing his educational rights. and and Next thing I know, um, I literally started the paperwork to adopt Larry. Wow. Um, and so it was this very rapid thing. You know, here I am, you know, in my marriage, as my marriage ended, I basically gave everything away. You know, I gave away all the property. I gave away all the stuff. And the one thing I basically retained was caring for my daughter, mm-hmm. um, my youngest, because she was the only child at home. Um and so I thought, okay, it's okay. I'll start over because I have a pretty good job. And, you know, I, I it looked like I was going to be in all the episodes and there was lots of stuff there. And then that kind of shifted and I wasn't in as much as I had planned and everything shifted. And I, I had adopted these two kids and was trying to make everything work now. But in the midst of that, you know, I had a really amicable 
separation and divorce. Um, That's good, especially for the kids. It's good. Yeah, it was unheard of. Uh, They they thought we're the strangest people ever because we literally walked in together. Um, She filed the paperwork. My son served me the paperwork as an adult. I agreed and we handed it back and we did it all in one day, all together as a family and then went out to dinner and then went out to breakfast the next day. And then it started to shift a little as I adopted kids and and my ex-wife got remarried quickly um, and kind of shifted and and has a new family and and three new kids, which created a lot of like just feelings for my kids. And at the meantime, we were... And then I, I was in this really strange position with Larry because Larry was going to age out of foster care. And if I adopted him, my paperwork wouldn't get approved until after he aged out. And so um, his social worker asked me to wait. And Larry kind of asked me to wait because he asked me to, um, to wait because he could get extended foster care first which would have given him educational stuff. And it's one of my biggest regrets, Sandy, mm. Uh, mm. is not finishing that paperwork. Um, and I, I couldn't move him into the house yet because, you know, that could have been a custody issue with my 17-year-old daughter bringing in essentially an 18-year-old young man that no one had known that I knew. But, you know, so he stayed with his sister. and. You know, one day he went with a friend and they decided to try some drugs and he got bad drugs from a dealer and he's one of maybe seven or eight people who passed away. Mm. And this beautiful child, um, who I have no doubt I was supposed to help and guide, came into my life and I didn't quite complete that. Um, and if you want to talk about like all the other things, right? Like all the other things you can, you can manage and compartmentalize property is property. Uh, things that disappoint you, disappoint you, everything else I have more time in, but I will never get a second shot. Like I cannot hug my son again. Yeah. And, um, and it's really hard. Um, it's hard all the time. You know, you can hear it in my voice and, Um, grief is a, it's a powerful thing. And I tell people all the time, the reason, you know, I was a really private person for years and years, but I've been a lot more open with this. I started by talking to Camille because there were whispers and people had started to kind of ask me. And so the first thing I did was call Camille and say, you know, people are curious about this or people are hearing rumors about this. How do you want me to handle it? you want me to talk about it? Because first of all, respecting her was the most important part. It starts with respecting Larry, but then I have to deal with how she was grieving and how she was dealing with the process. And somewhere in it, we talked about it, you know, kind of drawing some awareness to the foster care system is a huge project for her and I. Um, We have some film projects and some other stuff that we really want to kind of, both the good and the real struggles um, that happened in the foster care system, having experienced them firsthand. And what we really talked about, and gives you an example of just how bright this young woman is, she said, you know, Dad, if your story can stop one kid, if it can help one 
parent, if it can help people have a conversation, then it's totally worth it if you're strong enough to do it. And so it has become a situation where I've been super open about it and it it's impacted a lot of people and it led to, you know, like Instagram, I do these Instagram lives a couple of times a week and people have like, people come on and tell me things that I, I, I their strength is astonishing. Um, but we essentially are a community of people just supporting people through the process, through the healing, through the, through the ups, the downs, through hitting rock bottom. Um, and for anyone who needs a voice or a place or a safe space, as long as you come with positivity, you're always welcome to drop into my social media at Real in Fishman. Because I do believe one of the things about being a public person is if you can make it easier for someone else, if you can help someone along the way, that's what the value of this is for. It's not just to like enrich yourself or see what you can get and then walk away and hide behind, you know, an ivory tower or something. We're going to take a quick break from the interview to ask you a couple of questions. Are you a high achiever who finds themselves always going from one stressor to another? Are you living the life you always imagined you would? Do you feel like there's something missing in your life? Do you find yourself constantly thinking negative thoughts? Is there a better way to live? Yes. Everything I just described is the way I used to be and the questions I would ask myself. Now, for over 20 years, I have been helping people create lasting happiness in their lives so they can live the life they've always imagined. So I have a new program that can help you create the lasting happiness you've always longed for and live the life you've always dreamed about. Please visit www.sandyscarlotta.com slash courses for more information. Oh, and this would make the perfect holiday gift for someone special in your life. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's interview. So what gets you through times, times when, when, because when you're the grieving process, you know, I, I ended up abusing drugs because I didn't grieve the, the death of my brother mm-hmm. when I was 12 years old right. and which was in 1978 and people didn't go to therapists and things like that then. And so I just shoved it all and shoved it all and shoved it all. So when you have those moments, because they're going to come up, of course, what helps you to get through? that those moments well this will sound strange maybe but you know sandy i've lost a lot of people in my life it's one of the one of the advantages of being the young person in a group of adults is you see the cycle of life much faster and you learn the value of things so quickly the downside is you lose people so quickly i mean i i lived through the aids epidemic in the Mm -hmm. late 80s early 90s with coworkers. I spent my teenage years, part of that in Compton, in the middle of what was the height of kind of gang violence in in the East-West rift that was happening. Um, I then, fast forward as an adult, you know, as a coach, I've lost a couple of players. Like there are things that you're not supposed to experience. I lost a coworker, Glenn Quinn. I've lost a number of coworkers, but, you know, Glenn, I lost really tragically, um, about 19 years ago, almost to the day. Um, And I think in my life, I have been a witness for people's lives. 
And I think what it taught me really early on is the value of making sure you say the things you need to say and that you don't leave things unsaid. So the first thing I would tell people, and I always tell people is, I don't care how mad you are. I don't care if the person didn't treat you well or even won't communicate with you. Write them a letter. If you can't have the conversation, write them a letter, but make sure you tell people what they mean to you because it's one of your greatest regrets. And I, I don't leave a lot unsaid. Um, then the next step was I have three other kids, so I didn't have time to lay down. Um, Larry passed away at the end of June and I had to go to back to work in August to pay for two kids going to college and a young woman trying to start her life. Um, you know, and I had to be the strong leader and kind of soldier on and be the example of how to still find joy in the middle of grieving. Um, because I had to figure out a way to reach each one of them because how they grieve is different and how we all do is different. And I think that's part of the process too. And so often, like you mentioned, we end up kind of um, self-medicating or, or using other coping mechanisms that aren't as healthy because the people around us tell us things like, you know, it'll be okay or just get over it or, or you can handle it, right? No, sometimes you have to fall apart. And, yeah. and it's okay. Like I, t I tell my kids all the time, like cry for the reason, cry, cry as much as you want. Like, you know, I talk to Larry all the time. Um, I light my, my daughter gave us a memorial candle that we light all the time. Um, you'll see in a lot of my press pictures and my stuff, you'll see this, this is something my, my oldest daughter made that has messages that are related to Larry that we wear around our necks. Mm. And um, you'll see me sometimes when it becomes a little, when there's a moment that's too much, you'll see me grab it um, mm. because it's the way I feel grounded, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense. And so the first part I, you know, I tell people is, you know, you have to understand you're going to grieve your way. Try not to pick bad habits to shield yourself, lean into it and own it. And then find people who love you enough to let you grieve because, man, I hold space for, for my kids if they ever just want to call and just let it out, you know, and it's something, it's so funny. I didn't cry for years. My daughter laughed because my daughter, I think, was 16 before she ever saw me cry. Mm. And it's so interesting. In the last few years, she says, Dad, she goes, now, she goes, you make me cry all the time. And, and a lot of them are for good things, which is yeah. also, you know, we don't miss. I've never been a person who missed moments. Um, and this is, it's going to sound really morbid, but my view on life is kind of simple from the standpoint of, hold on, sorry. That's my dog. <laughs> sorry. It's okay. It's going to sound kind of morbid, but in my house, the way I raised my kids, because I had lost so many people is I've always kind of looked at it as we're all dying and we just don't know when. So you have to make the most of each day. Yes. And so I've tried to train my kids from the time they were little, not to fear death and to understand that that is a process, but to embrace life because life, life is supposed to be lived. And the one thing I could say with Larry is he didn't have a long time, but he taught me a lot and he knows how much he's loved. And I made sure 
he had somebody who fought for him in a way he'd never had before. Mm. And, um, it's ironic because a couple of weeks before, or ended up being a couple, like a month and a half before he passed away, one of his friends had committed suicide. Oh, geez. And you want to talk about dealing with the hardest thing. Um, and I took him to the funeral. And he'd never been to a funeral. We had all of these crazy deep conversations. Like, Sandy, it's the things you never think that you're going to have, right? And we had these deep conversations about life and death and what it meant. He'd never owned a suit, so I gave him his old suit of mine. Um, and the goal was to get it tailored to him. But in the in the rush, I gave it to him. And I remember we were driving there and I said to him, God, you look so good in that suit. And he and he goes, yeah, I make this look good. And I, I started laughing because I said, I think you look better in that suit than I ever did. <laughs> and he, he said, no, no, I absolutely look better in this than you ever did. <laughs> and uh, we, we had all these really deep conversations. And, you know, some of my peace comes from knowing that he knew that he meant that much. And a few months later, um, when he passed away, they were like, he doesn't even own a suit. And his sister goes, yes, he does. Mm. And so, you know, that last day he was there in his suit from me and we celebrated him and I still celebrate him. And I will find ways, just like I have said to Glenn's family, Glenn Quinn, um, I will find ways through my art to celebrate Larry. I will find ways to carry his message. His sister carries his message. And the truth is, anyone who grieves, and we all grieve for something, you have to find your way to take that pain, feel it, sit in it, don't run from it, don't hide it, don't mask it, don't, don't, don't try to cope with it. Just yeah. accept that this is supposed to be this way is the way I look at it is this is what happens when you love someone yes you're supposed to miss them exactly and so when that happens sit in it own it and then let it motivate you mm. do something for them do something for you do something that moves other people that makes it easier for someone else take away somebody else's pain for a moment or Find a way to take that and focus it in something where you put something into the world that makes somebody else's life, even if it's for a moment, better. Mm. And so we do that. I mean, we, we constantly are doing things. And, you know, my oldest just recently took in. Um, she has a family member who was having a, a family issue and the two kids were going to end up in um, – either foster care or DCFS. She took him in. This is a 24, almost 25 year old who's now raising a five and a three year old. And I almost got called grandpa, which I'm a little young for that. <laughs> um, and and they, the kids are so funny because they're like, well, wait, if he's your dad, then that makes, and uncle, we're going with uncle. So right. uh, <laughs> but you know, part of it is to make sure those kids don't ever experience the pain Larry felt right. going through the um, and I'll tell you, you know, 
Larry taught me more things in a short period of time than almost anyone else could have. Wow. And so it is my job to make sure that I share some of that and that I, I will never forget. Mm. But I have to make sure that I honor it in the right way. Wow. So do you, ha- you said you have some projects, you and Camille are working on some projects. Yeah. Is it going to be like a documentary? Like what does that look like? And how does that relate to the foster care system? Yeah, so Camille is kind of putting together because I want her to spearhead it. Um, mm-hmm. I really think it has to be her voice, especially um, as a young woman of color, because there are some racial elements of things that she went through and that Larry went through. That's a message that really she needs to to voice and carry. The parts, you know, my job is to help facilitate all of it. Um, you know, it's it's inclusion is a huge part of my life. It's a huge part of my my companies and my charities. And so one of the things that we're doing is there. One is a documentary. One is an actual, we're literally writing a short film and then a, a full-length film that touches on some of the elements because I don't think there's so many, there's millions and millions of kids in the system, but rarely do they tell their stories. Oh, wow. Most people don't want to admit that they were in the system. So mm-hmm. when you get out of the system, most people don't want to tell you, unless they're your personal connection, there's kind of a shame there that they don't really need to have um and and it's never their fault because kids end up in the system not because of their lack of behavior or activity it's it's the the adults or the other people around them or oftentimes it's an unexpected death or something else that occurs it's not it doesn't always have to be self-imposed right right so it's an interesting study is having uh camille has a bunch of siblings and almost all of them have been through the system at one time or another. Mm. And so trying to compile elements of that and really shine a light on it so that the world can see it. Because um, if you never see somebody like you, you don't know that you can do certain things and you don't know how to share that story. So that's one of the projects that inclusive is kind of, you know, we're spearheading and and backing with adopted films. That's Camille's company. Um, that's that's one major project there there's a documentary about her family there's a documentary and then we're trying to figure out another way to specifically design something for larry um but the truth is little bits and pieces of larry will be in almost everything i do going forward it sounds like it yeah yeah and and it should be and and that's the other part I think sometimes for people is as you grieve, right? Let it be part of the mission. Let it be part of your life's work. Let their memory live on through your actions. Cause I really think that's what we're supposed to do is we're, we're energy beings, right? Like we, we carry this thing with us and we are supposed to reverberate. We're supposed to leave reverberations that go outward long after we're gone. But it's really hard to do that unless you do it positively. Yeah. You know, negativity kind of has a real short life, right? And and people hide that and bury it. But your positivity, look, the people I work with, my job is to make people feel valued. My job is to be inclusive and open doors for people who haven't had doors open for them, to start to be a, a launching pad for people like Camille. Um. And the tree, you know, right before Larry passed away, 
he didn't tell me, but we had had all these conversations about going to college. And he had applied for school, and he was weeks from starting college. Um, and when I met him, he didn't think that that was one possible or two, there was any point in it. Oh, because wow. no one had talked to him about it. Yeah. No one had no one had given him the right to dream that way, and no one he knew had gone. Oh, my gosh. And in a couple of weeks, he had new dreams. And I wish I had gotten to see where that could have led him. But I'm so proud of him because he made all these big, daring choices, bold choices, unknown choices, choices that that no one around him had made right? That he was stepping into the unknown, which I really think is another message kind of from my life for people is step into what you don't know, take the chance, fail stupendously mm-hmm. because failure is not fatal, right? but inactivity can be. Mm-hmm. And what I would say is, you know, this is the time where you, you take those risks. And I, I love, make sure you tell people, because I didn't get a chance to tell them how proud I was of that because he wanted to wait and give me his first set of grades. Aww. And I didn't, we didn't get to share that moment. So what I would tell you is when your six or seven year old comes home and they have great grades, celebrate it. Yeah. Um, when your high school kid who struggles in math gets a good grade, don't get mad at them because they're carrying the C average in that class. Celebrate what it is and find a way to help them try to take that C to a C plus and then maybe to a B at some point. But Love the journey and and don't get bogged down by we're an outcome based world. Yeah. Um, and social media kind of encourages that, right? Like everybody wants to share their success story. It's why my social media is pretty pretty open and pretty raw at times, is because I want people to see that we all struggle too. It's okay for you to struggle. It's okay for you to not be okay. Exactly. It's okay for you to have a chemical struggle or a mental health struggle or like. I do. My life's awesome. I am closer to my dreams than I've ever been. And I have three beautiful children, four really, that I, you know, it's hard because when I say four, I have to explain it. Yeah. Um, but I have four beautiful children. Mm-hmm. And probably before it's all said and done, I'll probably have a couple more and I'll probably adopt a couple more because along the way, the people who need me will find me. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. Um, but in the meantime, my job is to help other people launch their lives. Mm. And that's what we're supposed to do is if you can make somebody else's life easier and you don't, you wasted your time here. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's such a beautiful message. And gosh, I love what you're doing. This is incredible, Michael. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? How can they, um, it, it, you said you work with some charities. Is there a charity that people can can reach out to? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do a ton of stuff with Covenant House. Okay, um, so Covenant House. Young adults who are dealing with homelessness. It, it was a personal mission. My youngest daughter a couple years ago started her own charity. Uh, called Altruistic Acres, which is an environmental charity. Um, And it's about kind of sustainability and trying to make the world a little cleaner, a little better place and kind of fight climate change and deforestation and some of these impacts. So she's in the process of kind of really 
she's going to launch her website here soon. Nice. Um, so she and I launched this altruistic acres designed for environmental kind of rehabilitation. I, it's the way I kind of look at it. And then my business partner, Michael Johnson, who is my partner at Inclusive Media, is my writing partner, one of the best human beings I've ever met, um, who's astonishingly good and has supported me through all of these ups and downs. When when I wasn't in the in the limelight, he was there to be a, a dreamer with me. And we started a charity called We Commend, um, which is about mending communities. We can mend. We commend. So it's it's W E C O M E N D. Okay. Um, and again, our website is is just about going up. But we've been doing during the pandemic. Uh, we partnered with a company, Matbox, to give out over five hundred thousand uh, masks to people. We targeted uh, children, underprivileged communities, and then homeless communities. Um, and we do a lot of outreach, but we also do a lot of mentorship is that that charity is a social outreach charity. So we also are providing opportunities for underrepresented people to gain access in their first opportunity in the entertainment industry, using our own skills to empower them, taking people I know who've worked professionally and getting them to pass on their knowledge at this stage in their careers. So it's all of that. It's all at once. And what I would tell people is figure out where you can help. Maybe you can give, maybe you can lift. I'm on the board of like three other charities and I'm constantly doing charitable work and it is really, it will be the definer of my life uh, and the things I leave behind. The projects I do, I think will speak for themselves, but really it will be about the people that we help along the way and the careers we launch and what they do and who they help. Mm. That's amazing. And thank you so much for all the charitable work that you do. And I, I, I love it when um, celebrities just really embrace something and really try to make a difference. Because it's, as somebody on the other side, you know, that, that's one of the things that I just admire and respect so much. So thank you. It's I really think you got to get active. And I yeah. think the, the thing that each of us can do is we all have gifts. Yeah. If I learned anything in this life and from all the people I've gotten to meet, and I, I, I love meeting people and communicating with people through social media, everybody has a gift. The question is, are you finding your gift and then are you using it? Are you using it? Something? Yes, that's exactly right. Use it right. for something good. And yes. so, Fanny, uh, I think you're using part of your gift. I am. I This it. is my second time around doing a, doing a podcast. I had one from 2008 to 2010 on blog talk radio. <laughs> I, I, I did some blog talk days, <laughs> <laughs> but I love this. <clears throat> I'm now starting to release two episodes a week. And in February, I'm going to be releasing three awesome. and it's gaining popularity. And I have right now, I have a list of over 50 people that want to be on my show. So it's, uh, it's, it's really great. And I love sharing the stories because everybody has a story and uh, hearing, hearing what you've gone through, will give so many people hope that they can get yeah, through I, it. I want people to know you just keep taking a step forward. Yeah. No matter how hard it is, take a step forward, find something positive to do with today. And that's the trick is find something positive to do with today. If you yes. can't help yourself, go help somebody else. Um, and I'm a big fan of uh, sharing people's stories. You know, uh, Fish's call sheet, I, I started sharing crew member stories 
everything's about lifting other people. Yes. Because the truth is, that's really where we're at our most valuable. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. So how amazing was that? I just loved hearing everything that Michael had to share. And I hope that you heard one or two nuggets from him that you can apply to your life right now, especially when he was just really encouraging everyone to, you know, say what you want to say to your loved ones, because we just never know how long people are going to be with us. Life is so short. So you can follow Michael on Instagram and his Instagram handle is real M Fishman and that's R E E L M Fishman. And I will also put that in the show notes. So thank you so much for joining me today. You can learn more about me at sandyscarlotta.com. My Instagram and Facebook is at coach Sandy Scarlotta. And as always, I hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy and that your lives are filled with peace, joy, love, and lots of happiness. Take care, everyone.